This was posted four hours ago. Political beatdown. Today's episode. Welcome to Political Beatdown. I'm Ben Micellis, joined by the one and only Michael Cohen. Here's what we're going to discuss on today's episode. Chaos erupts in Congress as MAGA Republican Speaker of the House Kevin McCarthy announced that Republicans will be conducting an impeachment inquiry of President Joe Biden. Despite having no, zero, zilch evidence of any impeachable offense, Kevin McCarthy is doing exactly what Donald Trump and Marjorie Taylor Greene are telling him to do and what he thinks he needs to do, not only to appease Donald Trump and Marjorie Taylor Greene, but also Freedom Caucus members like Matt Gates and Chip Roy. However, in floor speeches and in other press conferences today, Freedom Caucus MAGA Republicans stated they will not want to fund the government, and Matt Gates stated that he still wants to remove Kevin McCarthy and introduce a motion to vacate, regardless of Kevin McCarthy now launching an impeachment inquiry. Over the weekend, Donald Trump was booed at the Iowa versus Iowa State football game, and the media covered it completely the opposite way and acted like he received tons of rousing applause. I want to talk about that with Michael Cohen. This is some dismal media coverage out there, but not here on the Midas Touch Network and Political Beatdown. Also, Donald Trump gave a speech in South Dakota praising the nuclear arsenal of Kim Jong-un, whining that Saudi Arabia would pay him anything that he wants and saying how he will direct his attorney general to prosecute all of his political enemies. He said, I'm going to call him up and say, you go after my political enemies, yet the media still treats this like it's normal, not here on political beatdown. Also, Donald Trump seeking the recusal of Judge Chutkin, the federal judge in Washington, D.C., presiding over the case being prosecuted by special counsel Jack Smith for Donald Trump's attempt to overthrow the 2020 election. A lot to talk about, Michael Cohen. It's why I wanted to go through those fairly quickly. How are you doing? Chaos, chaos, chaos. The chaos doesn't seem to stop with Captain Chaos. Uh, I'm a little bit upset, and I may uh, have to file a lawsuit of my own against the guy at the, what is it, the Ohio State Rally, um, who was copying my two-finger salute. I have a real problem with that. I know. There you go. I mean, I have that trademark thing of salute. Um, to be honest with you, I would never sue the guy for doing the right thing. And so it's. What? Oh, shit. It's almost like, you know, the uh, the. Way you defeat, say, a defamation case is some is by veracity with truth. And so, since this guy is actually showing truth to power, um, we're going to let him slide on this. Cohen, you want me to give you the actual defense for the the defense for trademark and copyrightability? One could say it is a new derivative work. So, I think (laughs) that it is a derivative use and it is significantly different form of artistic expression. That's how I would defend him. Yeah, maybe the guy's just giving Donald the two-finger salute for us. Um, So let's see, where do I begin to start? First and foremost, let's start with Florida. Um, Really interesting stuff. So yesterday, pursuant to the court's directive, both sides, my attorneys, Donya Perry and Ben Brodsky, were required to provide disclosure documents to tell the court and the 
uh, plaintiff's counsel, Alejandro Brito, who we anticipate calling as a witness in order to defend the position. And so we have over a dozen people that we're calling uh, as witnesses. And the document has been filed, so it's certainly uh, on uh, PACER for review if anybody feels like doing that. But we have well over a dozen people, maybe 14, 15 to be exact. And then several hours later, after the time period expired, uh, Brito then sends to my counsel, who then forwards it to me, uh, the list, the disclosure list by plaintiff Donald J. Trump against me. And there are two people that are on this disclosure list on who they will call to trial uh, as a witness. And can you guess who those two people are? Um, is one of them you? Yes. And is the other one who? Him? Donald. Yes. Excellent. <laughs> Excellent. You know, the funny thing is that, you know, you, you joke about it. You're not really sure because it's ridiculous. I mean, how do you bring $500 million lawsuit against an individual um, for statements, for damages, when the only two people who you anticipate calling to be a witness at this trial is you, the plaintiff, and the defendant. Clearly, I can't agree with anything that he said because it's just frivolous and it's just not true. And what is he going to do? He's going to get on the stand, turn around and say, well, I think that cell phone is worth $10,000. And because I think it, therefore it is. Because the Saudis will give that to me. A waste of time and money and um, the court's time. We do now have a court-ordered deposition date of October 3rd, the day after the New York Attorney General case uh, begins. And we have a lot to talk about that. Talk about Lena Haba making a real legal error on behalf of her client. Uh, But as it relates to the deposition, we still have not been successful, despite the fact it is going forward on October 3rd because it's subject to court order. We don't know where yet, um, and we also don't have the exact time. So once, of course, we have that, the Gators would be, of course, the first to know. Um, Now, putting all that aside, let's run now, Ben, to the New York Attorney General case, which starts the day before the deposition. And I do want to remind everybody that one of the problems that Trump was trying to have the case um, put on stay until, or at least having his deposition stayed uh, within 90 days after the election is because he made a claim that (laughs) the information that he might have to provide pursuant to the deposition, pursuant to questions from the counsel, could potentially cause him uh, to 
provide information, incriminating information against him that would be subject to a uh, Fifth Amendment claim of right against self-incrimination. I mean, this is truly spectacular on any level. I mean, I've seen and I've been around the table as lawyers come up and try to concoct crazy sorts of things like an economic force majeure, which we did for Chicago, never done before, never even, the judge didn't even know what the hell we were talking about, yet we won uh, on that specific case. I have no idea what he's talking about here. I don't think anybody has an idea. But you can't answer questions on deposition that's the result of a lawsuit that you brought predicated on averments in that complaint that I need to defend myself on. But you can't answer those questions because it can implicate you in other legal matters that are currently pending and that you need to have another lawyer there, and I think it's Chris uh, uh, Kai's that is going to be there in order to ensure that he invokes his Fifth Amendment right against self-incrimination. It's so mind-boggling and ridiculous. I mean, I speak to friends of mine who are attorneys for 30-plus years, and, you know, we, in, in essence, we laugh about it because <laughs> it's so ridiculous. You know, it's like going into Carvel and asking for an ice cream, but asking to put it in your hand instead of a cup or a cone. I mean, or put it on a napkin. It's so <laughs> stupid, right? There's no other way to describe this. So that's going forward again. We're still waiting for Alejandro Brito to agree to the location and the time. Uh, New York Attorney General case. Lena Haba. She hobbled the entire problem. Uh, and what did she do? Well, I cannot imagine that this was done intentionally. Just makes, again, no sense at all. <laughs> oh, trying to figure these folks out is really a difficult task in and of itself. But she failed to file the necessary documents in the New York Attorney General case against Trump, Trump org, kids, etc. So that case now is going to be a bench trial. <laughs> no jury, unless the judge wants to bring them in for certain points in order to have a jury panel. I doubt it, but the judge certainly can do that. This is going to be a bench trial where all the evidence is provided uh, yeah. to the judge who is the ultimate arbiter based upon his decision-making process. It is not going to any third parties. No jury uh, is going to be impaneled. That, by the way, knocks off a minimum, minimum of three weeks for the start of the trial, because that's what it was anticipated that it would take in order to voir dire uh, a jury in order to sit for this case. Astounding. Absolutely astounding the level of incompetence. And I want to remind people that the New York Attorney General's case is a $250 million case. It doesn't mean that it's a $250 million case. It means that she's starting 
case at $250 million, owing up to whatever she determines based upon the documents and the evidence that she's going to be able to prove before Judge Angoron, who Donald has been attacking on a daily basis, along with Judge Chutkin. <laughs> Again, not smart. <laughs> this is now going to ultimately be a financial disaster <laughs> to him and the organization. And I say that not because I have any inside info other than the fact I know what they intend to uh, raise at trial. Let's not forget I was deposed uh, on this by Haba uh, several months ago. So this case is starting. I was subpoenaed last Friday uh, to appear as a witness uh, for this case, which... If I can be open to my brigaders, which I am, I'm not thrilled about it. I do want to see Trump held accountable. I want to see Don and Eric held accountable. I want to see the Trump organization held accountable. But I want people to remember, number one, being a witness at a trial, being deposed, Meeting with prosecutors, DA, 23 times, several times with the AG. It's very taxing, and not just your mind, but on your heart and your soul. It's physically and mentally exhausting. I happen to be exhausted. I, tru I truly am. I am exhausted. And as much as I wish that they did not send me subpoena um, they did and um, I have no interest in being held in contempt of court like Mark Meadows is currently or Steve Bannon was I have no interest in allowing this case to fall apart because I didn't have the fortitude to continue forward on this journey of truth to power. So I'll probably take a couple of days off, you know, before that, and um, really just shut down because they are going to grill me, and I'm talking about defense counsel, in the same manner as they did at the House Oversight Committee, which if you all watched it, and I'm pretty sure most people did, about 100 million people watched that ass beating. They were ruthless, demeaning, disparaging, ugly, five-minute statements made by each and every one of the Republicans, never asking a question. All they did was denigrate me with the same words that they were told to do by Trump administration. It's exactly what they used to do during the Trump campaign, send out uh, letters to the people who are going to be surrogates on television, telling them, use this buzzword, this is what we want to talk about, et cetera, et cetera. So I am certain that um, Haba, who I understand claimed today during a uh, live um, appearance before the court, said that she is going to be first counsel on this case. <laughs> and when I heard that, all I can do is chuckle. 
<laughs> because she is so out of her lane for defense in a matter like this against the New York wow. Attorney General's office and the prosecutors at it's astonishing. And I also don't believe that that's going to be true. I believe Dave's that can't before. possibly be possible. true. There's no way that Alina Habba will sit first chair and be the lead trial counsel in the New York Attorney General's fraud valuation case. Alina Habba talked a big game like she was going to be first chair and lead trial counsel in defending Donald Trump in the E. Jean Carroll matter. She didn't even do a single witness yet alone sit as first chair. Joe Takapina did every single witness, and Joe Takapina brought in one lawyer, I think, who did a few cross-exams and direct exams, but Alina Habba did nothing there. Just a few points to mention there, Cohen. First, you talked about the case that Donald Trump filed against you in federal court in the Southern District of Florida. You talked about the initial disclosures. Just so I let everybody know what that is, under the federal rules of civil procedure, specifically Rule 26F, it is the obligation of parties in a federal lawsuit is mandatory that they list all of the witnesses who are going to be called in the case. It is a mandatory obligation, and that has to be exchanged between the parties. And failure to disclose parties is a waiver of your right. You have the ability to amend throughout a federal litigation, but failure to put in the disclosures the witnesses waives your right to say that there are witnesses at a later point in time in federal court. So just so you all understand, the fact that Donald Trump filed this lawsuit against Michael Cohen and said the only two witnesses in, the, in his view in the $500 million case is him and Michael Cohen shows you just how unserious he is. Just, just think, for example, special counsel Jack Smith produced terabytes and terabytes of discovery in the initial batch of discovery in his case and provided all of these witnesses. I mean, literally millions of documents, and that's what you would expect to happen if it was a case like this. But Donald Trump is just treating this as a game to try to screw over Michael Cohen while Donald Trump invokes his Fifth Amendment right in a case that Donald Trump filed against Michael Cohen. So that's one. Number two, you talked about Alina Haba waiving Donald Trump's right to a jury trial in the New York Attorney General case. In federal court, there are the federal rules of civil procedure, and one such rule, for example, is Rule 26. There's other rules that deal with discovery there. There's rules that deal with service and summons and, and complaint. In state court, each states have their own state rules of civil procedure. In New York, it's called the CPLR the Civil Pr Procedure Law and Rules, the CPLR of New York. And what that requires, one, is that you read it if you're a licensed lawyer because you should know what those rules are. But if a lawsuit is brought like the New York Attorney General's and the party bringing the lawsuit does not demand a jury trial, the party being sued has a time limit. I believe it's about 15 days to then invoke a demand for a jury trial. And just so you know, this isn't a complex document to file. It is to say, we hereby demand a jury trial. It's essentially as simple as that. 
and then you maybe have to post jury fees with it when you make that demand. It's this one sentence, plus you post the jury fees in, in most states. That's at least how it works in uh, California where, where I practice. I believe it's the same in New York. So she forgot to do that. Sure. And so now Donald Trump is whining. <laughs> I they, they stole. He, Donald Trump has this in posts. I'll go back and try to find it where Donald Trump goes, the New York Attorney General, they've deprived me of my constitutional rights to a jury trial. No, they didn't. Your lawyer, in my opinion, committed legal malpractice. You if it's again, it's my opinion, and not invoking the right to a jury trial, which is a one-page document. You had the right. And to me, Cohen, when I'm speaking, and we're going to speak about Kevin McCarthy's baseless, baseless impeachment inquiry, I want to live in an evidence-based world, okay? So when Donald Trump says, they stole my right to a jury trial, no, they didn't. Your lawyer's an idiot. You're yeah. an idiot. That's what actually happened. Now, if you want to say, my lawyer's an idiot, okay, well, then at least we're dealing with reality there of what went down, and you're whining about the correct thing, at least. But not that the New York's taking away your right to a jury trial. You could have had your right to a jury trial. And so as we talk about what's going on with, you know, Kevin McCarthy, Kevin McCarthy gave this press conference, and it was just lie after lie after lie regurgitating the Giuliani and Trump conspiracy theories from 2018 to everything the man said in this press conference was a complete and utter lie. The Bidens, the bank accounts, $20 million, Biden got the prosecutor fired to help his son. No, getting the prosecutor fired was an international effort because the prosecutor, Victor Shokin, was a corrupt prosecutor who was in bed with the company that Hunter Biden worked on. By getting the guy fired, which is what the international community wanted because he was a pro-Putin corrupt prosecutor, it made it more likely that Burisma would be harmed and screwed. And that's what the testimony reflects that was actually taken. I care about testimony. I care about evidence. So let me just show you right now, this was Kevin McCarthy earlier in the day announcing the impeachment inquiry. Here, play this clip. Today, I am directing our House committee to open a formal impeachment inquiry into President Joe Biden. This logical next step will give our committees the full power to gather all the facts and answers for the American public. That's exactly That's what so we want evil. to know. The answers. I believe the president would want to answer these questions and allegations I as well. The president this effort will be led by Chairman James Comer at the Committee on Oversight in coordination with Chairman Jim Jordan for Judiciary Committee and Chairman Jason Smith on Ways and Means. You know, when there's an impeachment inquiry, there is supposed to be evidence of an impeachable offense. It's not a fishing expedition to try to defame, disparage, and divide this country. And of course, now we're learning, not a big surprise, that before Kevin McCarthy announced that he and Jim Jordan and James Comer spoke to Donald Trump, who directed that they do that. And that shouldn't be a surprise. What do you make of this, Michael Cohen? Yeah, this doesn't even then have to do with any of that. This is merely Distraction. this idiot doing what Donald Trump is asking do. him to do. All they care about is starting an impeachment 
tried to hurt Joe Biden in some way, shape, or form. And they're doing it. They're going to waste a lot of our time watching, reading about this baseless you know, um, impeachment. I will tell you what my prediction is. My prediction is this does not benefit the Republican Party. It does not. I think what it's going to do is seriously affect the outcome of the down ballot during the general election for the seats that are currently um, in contention between the Republican Party and the Democratic Party. The states are what's referred to as purple. That's what I think is going to happen. And I do believe that Democrats will take back the House as well, uh, which will be great for Biden. I mean, the part that, again, I am continues to perplex me. How can a twice impeached, four times indicted sexual assaulter with currently 91 counts, criminal counts, filed against him, multiple jurisdictions, be the front runner of a political party in the United States of America? How is something like this possible? How is it that there are still people that will fight for him? And look, if you follow me on social media, on X or from Twitter and so on, the maniacs, the MAGA maniacs that are out there that regularly attack, many of them are bots. And, you know, you obviously you realize that when you look at who they are and it's a picture of a cow. Right. And uh, there's 17 <laughs> followers they've been on since 2020. I mean, obviously, uh, this is either a very, very important person living in his mommy's basement or it's a a bot and I suspect and I'm sure that they're bots but the problem is it changes the conversation and they attack and they attack they attack viciously and they don't care of course if they get blocked or thrown off the platform first of all Elon Musk isn't even doing that which is a problem because if I want to have a conversation with somebody and we could be on opposite sides of the aisle and there's discourse that's fine as long as each person comes to the table, truth, facts, not innuendo, not bullshit, but facts, real legitimate facts to back up your position. You can't just say Donald Trump was the greatest president in the history of the United States of America. That's clearly not accurate. And this will tell me, what did he do? Tell me better than that. What did he do that benefited you? And they respond back with these so innocuous, um, generalized answers. Well, the country was doing great under Trump. How? How? He lost millions of jobs during that time, but that wasn't his fault. Oh, okay. You know, what about health care? So, no, no, no. That was, it was really good. Are you sure about that? Do you know how many uninsured Americans there were? And what about the cost of drug prices? Or how about our military? And that's also hysterical when you start to look at some of these folks that are saying the most vile stuff. Yeah. They all claim to be former military. It's amazing. And whoever it is that's running that bot farm, 
must be making a fortune. You know, I want to show you not only what Kevin McCarthy said, but there is some thinking that Kevin McCarthy thought by supporting this impeachment inquiry, there would be less likely for a motion to vacate be brought seeking to oust him as the speaker by people in the Freedom Caucus like Matt Gates and Chip Roy. And remember, you only need one person. And here, you know, and then ultimately the question, though, would be you need one person to call this motion to vacate. Mm -hmm. And then what you would need the same way there was back when Kevin McCarthy, it took him 14 or 15 rounds. You would then require the you know amount of votes necessary to maintain his speakership. So then the question would be, where would the Democrats vote? Where would the Republicans vote? Who would replace him? But we would then brew that. And one of the things that I think we should watch out for is because that process is inherently nihilistic and disruptive. One of the things I think Matt Gates and these Freedom Caucus members are positioning is to launch the motion to vacate right around the time that it will require our government to be funded. So instead of passing an 11th hour funding bill extension, what will be happening is there will be all of these motion to vacates like we saw in early January, and that will try to throw the House into complete and utter chaos to try to affirmatively harm and destroy our country. I want everybody to watch out for that. And I want to show you these clips, though, by Gates and Chip Roy and, and, and other MAGA Republicans who, in response to Kevin McCarthy saying that he wants to launch this inquiry, don't say Great, that's what we want. They say no. Kevin McCarthy is spineless and we're going after him. That's why you can't negotiate with hostages like this. You can't, ne sorry, you you can't negotiate with people who want a terrorist, who want to make you into their hostages. You can't negotiate with people like Donald. And there is no fair negotiation. I want to show that. I also want to remind people, though, as well, about Cohen, the Patreon that you launched. It's patreon.com slash political beatdown. And one of the things that I've seen you do there is you requested from the patrons what should we discuss on this episode? Mm -hmm. And we're following a lot of the things that they want us to discuss. Now, the Midas Touch Network political beatdown is not funded by any outside investors at all. And the way this is built, the way we expand the network, how we built out MidasTouch.com are through fun things like the emojis on YouTube. Separately, there's the Patreon memberships. And one of the things we do is our after show. So after political beatdown, down and we then have our after show and on today's after show Cohen I want to know a little bit more about your background how you became a lawyer what made you want to become a lawyer I want a little bit of Cohen biography that we don't get to hear on all of these shows where we're covering the news so that's what we'll cover on the after show and everybody if you can join patreon.com slash political beatdown check it out it goes a long way to support this network to support this show we're going to take a quick break when we come back i'm going to show you what matt gates chip roy and others were saying also senator fetterman had an incredible uh, response when he was asked about uh the impeachment inquiry I then want to show what Donald Trump was doing in South Dakota. I want to get your reaction, Cohen, to Donald Trump getting booed and more. Let's take a quick break. 
there's also a lot of folks that are talking about, you know, um, stay strong, do what you need to do, you know, make sure that accountability is had. That is a promise that I had made the country. It's a promise that I made a really good man. I'm talking about Congressman Elijah Cummings, uh, who was the head at the time of the House Oversight Committee, who unfortunately passed a very good and decent man. And I made him a promise that I would stay strong. Important initiative for you, Cohen. Yeah, and I got to thank Salty for doing the cuts on to them and making sure that they get, uh, technologically, I am somewhat challenged, uh, but Salty is doing a great job in terms of getting them up there uh, onto the site. And of course, that's the only place you could see them. Uh, they're uh, very interesting and they deal with uh, issues that are right now currently plaguing us all. So again, if you have the ability, go to Patreon, join uh, the clubhouse and um, once a month, or may even do it more than that. Uh, we're going to have some uh, live events with um, our brigaders that are part of that. I did also just want to say, because a lot of people are concerned, they say I look tired. Well, yeah, you know, I went to sleep last night a little after 12. I got up at 2.30 in the morning. I still suffer from PTSD, believe it or not, from uh, the, the experience uh, over at, you know, um, in Otisville. 51 days of solitary confinement can sort of do that to you. And there are things that trigger it, especially when I'm sleeping, you know, sounds and stuff like that. And I live in New York City. Uh, and so there's always a sound here, you know, uh, no matter uh, how good the windows are, it doesn't make a difference. So, yeah, once I'm awake, it's really hard for me to go back to sleep. So, yeah, I am uh, somewhat tired, but... There's also a lot of folks that are talking about, you know, um, stay strong, do what you need to do, you know, make sure that accountability is had. That is a promise that I had made the country. It's a promise that I made a really good man. I'm talking about Congressman Elijah Cummings, uh, who was the head at the time of the House Oversight Committee, who unfortunately passed a very good and decent man. And I made him a promise that I would stay strong and that I would do what I could in order to ensure not just Trump's accountability, but all of his administration's accountability. And there was one really great follower of mine on uh, Twitter on X who turned around and said, with all the things that you've done, 23 meetings with the DA, meetings with the AG, the fact that you're the key witness in these two matters, the fact that you testified before seven congressional committees, uh, so it's, you know, they're like, um, you deserve pardon. And as I told you that I am was working on it, but I decided I was going to try something a little fun. And I actually pinned it to my Twitter account or X account. I don't even know what the hell to call this shit anymore. So I'll call X. Um, it's pinned to my profile. Uh, what's really funny is I did this um, thing where asking brigaders, may occult the followers, as well as uh, my 600,000 uh, followers there, but many of them are haters, uh, to send a letter to Joe Biden at the White House, 1600 Pennsylvania Northwest. Uh, or there's actually a hyperlink that's included there where you can do the contact by email. I think like 70,000 plus people have already sent an email. So hopefully this, <laughs> this uh, sparks some sort of a, uh, an interest by the Biden administration to do something that they should have done a long time ago. And that's going right back 
to ensuring that, and I say this to you, my brigaders, because unlike Donald Trump who wants to bullshit his followers and say, I'm standing in the way of them hurting you. That's a lot. Right? In fact, it's actually me who's standing in between Trump and the rest of the country, including his own followers, because he doesn't care about anyone or anything other than himself. And what I did is I referred to the Alvin K. Hellerstein decision where he turns around and if I can, Salty, if you got it, just drop it up there for 10 seconds. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but here's what Judge Alvin K. Hellerstein, federal court, United States District, Southern District of New York. The court finds that respondents and respondents of Bill Barr, Trump, Petrucci, yada, yada, the purpose in transferring Cohen from release on furlough and home confinement back to custody was retaliatory in response to Cohen's desiring to exercise his First Amendment rights to publish a book critical of the president and to discuss the book on social media. Accordingly, respondents are hereby enjoined. He enjoined them from any continuing or future retaliation against Cohen for exercising his First Amendment rights. This is astonishing. It's astonishing that a, that a judge is admonishing the Attorney General of the United States of America, the Bureau of Prisons, Department of Justice, Trump, etc., for violating a citizen's First Amendment constitutional rights. And it's it's like the more I put it out there, the more the haters, you know, they, they come back and they make up all of this stuff and they don't want to read. And so that's one of the things I did on the Patreon account. I actually read something to the record from the sentencing memo that I think you'll find absolutely fascinating if you didn't read it yourself. And I suggest and I tell everybody that they should, because if you compare my sentencing memo with that of the governments, and I believe that the Southern District prosecutors like Tom McKay or Nick Roos, you know, I, or Andrea Griswold, Jeffrey Berman, um, you know, uh, whatever the hell the other guy's name was, uh, I believe that they were working in concert with Bill Barr. That's why I get so offended when I see Bill Barr, like on CNN, thinking that he's invited back to polite society without coming clean and without disclosing to us, to us, political beatdown, Midas Network, you know, followers, Mayor Culpa followers, all of us. Bill Barr is obligated to come clean and talk about the things that he did the direction of and for the benefit of Donald J. Trump. When he does that, he will then earn a right to ask for forgiveness. Standing and sitting on television you know, with his arms crossed saying, oh, I told Donald he lost the election. That doesn't do it. And it shouldn't do it. And he should be given no accolades by anyone for doing it. And that's why I asked Joe Biden for a pardon. I absolutely feel that I'm deservant of it. I absolutely agree as well and want to thank all the brigaders who have sent letters on behalf of Michael Cohen and continue to, to do so. We appreciate you so much. Speaking about not getting any accolades, I don't know, did Kevin McCarthy think by supporting an impeachment inquiry that he was going to get accolades from people like Matt Gates and Chip Roy? As I said, that's why you can't negotiate with terrorists. Let me show you what Matt Gates said. Can I just give you a quick answer to that one before you start showing us? One of the things that, that he's forgetting is the fact that Donald doesn't care about him either. 
and he too, like you know, uh, like Jim Jordan, like uh, Matt Gates, like uh, you know uh, Meadows, all of them, they're all going to end up Giuliani, you know, uh, Jenna Ellis, all of them are going to all end up under the bus because that's what Donald Trump does. History has shown it, and for whatever reason, he doesn't care. McCarthy uh, doesn't care what. Matt Gates or Marjorie Taylor Greene has to say. He's only speaking and doing in order to appease Save the party of one. Save his own ass. And that's Captain Chaos himself, Donald Trump. By the way, on MidasTouch.com, a breaking story while we've been live. Rudy Giuliani says that he believes he should be appointed as the main lead lawyer in the impeachment inquiry instead of James Comer and Jim Jordan. By the way, I wouldn't be surprised if that actually happens as law license is suspended. But then again, Jim Jordan is not a licensed lawyer as well. As Fulton County District Attorney Fawny Willis said, if Jim Jordan wants to learn about how to practice law, or learn about Rico, he could pay the non-bar member fee of $249, and she recommends a book for him. Let me show you right now uh, MAGA Republican Matt Gates what he said on the House floor after Kevin McCarthy announced the impeachment inquiry. Play the clip. Mr. Speaker, dust off our written January agreement. You have a copy. Reflect on the spirit of that agreement and build on the start that we had moments ago began to comply. No continuing resolutions, individual spending bills are bust, votes on balanced budgets and term limits, subpoenas for Hunter Biden and the members of the Biden family who've been grifting off of this country and the impeachment for Joe Biden that he so richly deserves. Do these things or face a motion to vacate the chair. This is your new go-to tool if you love working in your garden. Have you ever seen such a useful mini chainsaw? If you haven't bought it yet, please take two minutes for me to introduce it to you. It's a lightweight, completely electric, and... Here's MAGA Republican Chip Roy in a press conference outside of Capitol Hill. Play this clip. Enough! Why would we fund that? That's my question for the Republican leadership. Why will you fund that? Let me be very clear. I will not continue to fund a government at war with the American people. We are here to change it. It is time to end it. And I'm proud to stand with these patriots to do that. And here is, as part of that press conference where you just saw MAGA Republican Chip Roy, randomly here is Tom Fitton, who is the head of an organization called Judicial Watch. In keeping with the theme of non-licensed lawyers or non-lawyers, the main kind of right-wing judicial group is led by this individual, Tom Fitton, who's an idiot, number one. He wears super tight shirts as his only qualification for who knows what, and he's not a licensed lawyer, and he's the one who Donald Trump relies on as well to basically justify any of Donald Trump's positions. Here's Tom Fitton randomly at this press conference as well. Play the clip. Mm -hmm. I don't know what we're talking about with a clean CR. I see a dirty CR. A CR that will fund the worst, the dirty politics and corruption in our federal government. And there's a positive moral obligation right now, not next year, but right now, to stop the abuses, the effort to jail Trump on pretextual, unprecedented charges 
in a way never seen before in American history. An obligation to stop right now the Biden administration censorship of tens of millions of Americans. The obligation to stop right now the illicit use of tax money to fund abortions in our military and elsewhere. The uh, right to stop right now the attack on children through the promotion of transgender extremism. We need to stop right now the lack of serious investigation into the Biden administration corruption, specifically Biden corruption. We need a Justice Department or a special counsel that has confidence of the American people. I just want to compare that to Democratic Senator John Fetterman. This was his response when he was asked about the impeachment inquiry by Kevin McCarthy. Play this clip. Dynamic air cracks me up. Well, could you imagine Ben they're going to get the Rudy Kaludi drunken Giuliani up there? Hell, the other guy's name was. Uh, I believe that they were working in concert with Bill Barr. And that's why I get so offended when I see Bill Barr. Was what? And he's not a licensed lawyer. And he's the one who Donald Trump relies on as well to basically justify any of Donald Trump's positions. Here's Tom Fitton randomly at this press conference as well. Play the clip. I don't know what we're talking about with a clean CR. I see a dirty CR, a CR that will fund the worst of dirty politics and corruption in our federal government. And there's a positive moral obligation right now, not next year, but right now, to stop the abuses, the effort to jail Trump on pretextual, unprecedented charges in a way never seen before in American history. An obligation to stop right now the Biden administration censorship of tens of millions of Americans. The obligation to stop right now the illicit use of tax money to fund abortions in our military and elsewhere. The uh, right, we need to stop right now the attack on children through the promotion of transgender extremism. We need to stop right now the right lack now. of serious investigation into the Biden administration corruption, specifically Biden corruption. We need a Justice Department or a special counsel that has confidence of the American people. I just want to compare that to right Democratic now. Senator John Fetterman. This was his response when he was asked about the impeachment inquiry by Kevin McCarthy. Play this clip. Ask you about this news that uh, Speaker McCarthy has formally launched an impeachment inquiry. Has said he's going to oh my God, run. really? Oh my gosh. You know, oh, it's devastating. <laughs> oh, don't do it. Please don't do it. Oh, oh no. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've watched that video a few times. What makes it funnier to me? What makes it funnier to me is not just Betterman, but his aide is also uh, like so serious. Like, the whole dynamic there cracks me up. You know, could you imagine Ben? They're gonna get say Rudy Kaludi, drunken Giuliani up there, you know, in order to impeach uh, Joe Biden. Oh, and all of a sudden, he's gonna come in. He's gonna be shit faced, sauced, right? And they're gonna be like, uh. Allow me, allow me to ejaculate on that statement. And then, I, 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 allow me to. Uh, where's Barack's little girl? All right. Then he's going to turn around and you're going gonna to drive everybody crazy. They're going to start banging the gavel. He's going to go order. Put her in the court. He's going to go, I'm scotch. What time is it? Am I going for wine or am I going for scotch? That's what this shit show is going to be all about. I mean, you know it's funny. It seems funny, but it's not. I mean, we are making 
the United States of America looks so stupid in the eyes of our adversaries. I mean, do you not think for a second, or do they not think for a second, at Russia, China, North Korea, Turkey, they're doing it for Russia. Saudi, that they're not all looking at the United States of America and saying, holy shit, what the Girl, fuck happened stupid. here? Ah. And by the way, as we're approaching our one hour or so mark, something obviously that I forgot to do, and there's nobody, in all fairness, uh, <laughs> other than this last asshole. What's his name again? I'm blanking now. Um, Tom Pitten? Tom Finton. Tom Finton, in my opinion, deserves a two-finger salute. Wow. Tom Finton. Yeah, you really do, Tom. Tommy boy. Tommy Tuberville. You and Tommy Tuberville. Tubby Tubby Tuberville. I mean, give me a fucking break. All right? All this bullshit about... What about Biden? What about Hunter Biden? What about Hunter Biden? Hunter Biden's not running for the presidency of the United States of America. And we here on Political Beatdown with you, our brigaders, we have said from day number one, if they did something wrong, they too must be held accountable. This is no different than what Constant Jamie Raskin said when he was before this Jim Egg Darkoff Jordan uh, committee on the weaponization of government. It's no different than when Congressman Steve Cohen did the same. But Dan Goldman, the letters that have gone in for uh, requests to open an investigation by Congressman Ted Lieu and Hakeem Jeffries, or even one by Senator Durbin who said, hey, the weaponization against Cohen as it related to even the IRS, it's abnormal. A guy who has never, ever had a tax violation, who has never paid, uh, who has never not paid any year in tax, who's never even asked for an extension until 2017, who's never had overseas bank accounts, nominees, none of that sort of stuff. How has this guy gone from a non-offender guy who's never been audited in his whole life, how does he end up going from tax commission and error, legitimately by his accountant, this guy Jeff Getzel, how does he go from that criminal for criminal prosecution. Oh, we know the answer. The whole book Revenge is all about it. And this shit has to stop. It has to stop because they are destroying America. They are destroying American democracy. And you have someone like Donald Trump. And remember, what Donald Trump says may sound stupid. Right? It may sound ludicrous. It's not. And he said that if he becomes president again, the first day of his office, he's going to rewrite the Constitution. Could you imagine this fucking moron wants to rewrite the Constitution? Possibly, other than maybe the Ten Commandments? Possibly the best document written in order he's to preserve anyway. our rights to ensure democracy? from generation to generation it's up there the best documents ever written and this moron wants to rewrite it and how does he want to rewrite it he wants to take away all judicial and legislative rights he wants to basically confer all power to the executive branch well hey no shit who's the head of the executive branch he is as the president he will have 
unlimited power and control with no tripartite system of oversight. That's what he wants. Why? She doesn't want to be president. That's the role of a king, a monarch, a fuhrer, a dictator, an autocrat. Not the role of the president. Rest assured, from the second that he would end up taking office, God forbid him a million times, that's the first thing that he's going to do. And number two, after he gets power, he's coming after all of his critics. Everyone, no matter where you're at, President of the United States, the most powerful man in the planet, is coming after his critics. And that means everyone. And this son of a gun has got one long-ass list of enemies. He wants to go after he said, I am your retribution. I am going to be the revenge. Fantastic. This guy and still has it. And the Republican Party loves it. This is what they are. They are no longer a party that supports democracy. And I'm also sick and tired of legacy media and all media networks looking at things that are objectively fascist and just reporting it as, well, Donald Trump went to South Dakota where a crowd of 7,000 people started cheering Trump, Trump, Trump. The applause rushed through the room as Donald Trump said, Joe Biden, you are fired. That's how these stories are actually written. But let's actually just take a look at what happened in South Dakota. So to your point, Michael Cohen, you said, what uh, are enemies like North Korea, Saudi Arabia? You know, what, 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 are, what are they, people who, who wish us ill? What do they think about what's going on uh, with Donald Trump's feeling about our country? This is Donald Trump talking about Kim Jong-un and the crowd at the South Dakota event ups in cheers as Donald Trump goes, he loves collecting those nuclear weapons. Let's play this clip. Maybe I can sell them to Saudi. I went over there. You remember that? It was a very historic moment. And I said to Kim Jong-un, you know, being a real estate guy, it's just sort of natural. I said, you have the most beautiful shoreline. Think of it. You're between China, Russia, and South Korea. Look at the beautiful shore. You could have the most beautiful condos that you've ever seen and become rich as hell. You don't have to live like you're living. But he's a tough guy. He's a smart guy. And uh, he just loves collecting nuclear weapons. That's what he does. He collects nuclear weapons. And... And uh, we got along incredibly well once we met and once we started the whole thing. And we saved the Olympics in South Korea because nobody was going. Nobody wanted to be blown out of the stadium. And we came along. They actually participated in the Olympics. We had a great, we had a great relationship, and it would have been greater. We would have had a deal done long ago if the election weren't rigged. There's one simple morning hack that any woman can use to get rid of wrinkles almost overnight. Did you know that saggy jowls are not... a good night's sleep. Then I want to show you this one, Cohen, your point. This is what he said that he was going to direct his attorney general to do on day one. Biggest fear that everybody has. Our momentum is unprecedented and hopefully unstoppable. And that's the reason that Joe Biden's ordered his leading opponent arrested on 91 fake and phony charges. 91. How many charges are there? We're going to ask for dismissals of a lot of it. Most of it is just, you ask for dismissal. It's called dismiss the judges. But remember, it's a, it's a 
Democrat charging his opponent. Nobody's ever seen anything like it. That means that if I win, and How somebody wants Trump to run against me, I call my attorney general and I say, listen, indict him. Well, he hasn't done anything wrong, though we know him. I don't know. Indict him on income tax evasion. You'll figure it out. And you know, the good thing with me is I have a big voice, and people know me, and you know me for a long time. But people know me, and I'm able to speak. But if you're a regular politician, a really good politician, an honest politician, and you get indicted, you get a subpoena, and that gets reported in the paper and the news, you have to leave office. No, you don't. And the Republicans in the You're Senate full of shit. and the Republicans in the House cannot let this go on because people are being destroyed. Lives are being destroyed by these sick lunatics in Washington. Cohen, what do you think about that? First of all, what he's doing is he's projecting out a message of fear. Because he knows, oh, it's all uh, 91. It's called, it's called dismissal. Dismiss, dismiss the case. All right, he knows. He knows that the documents, that the evidence that they have is not going to result in a dismissal. In fact, every motion that these people have made so far has been denied. I mean, he could, he could cry, he could scream, he could yell, yeah, he's got a big megaphone. Let's not argue with that, because that's true. But it makes no difference how big his megaphone is, because he knows what he did. He knows the evidence that's currently in, going to be used uh, against him at trial. Why? Because prosecutors turn over the evidence, you know, to the defendant. That's the way the rules work. And so he knows what they have, and there is no explanation for it other than the fact that he committed a crime. I mean, I love, oh, I will get him on tax evasion. It's not tax evasion, you idiot, that they're also going after you for. Actually, tax evasion, I don't even think, is one of the charges out of the 91. The, the charge that they're coming after him for, for example, right, is this reporting income and trying to take a deduction off it. That's not tax evasion. Well, maybe, maybe it is a, a part of it, but that's also with the civil cases. One of the other, uh, it's also part of the criminal case too with uh, Alvin Bragg. But one of here. the bigger things that they're. Oh, you are. Hello, darling. Shout out to KAMP Student Radio at the University of Arizona. They're talking about is his refusal to return classified documents, despite the fact that you know, he spoke with the folks over at NARA, the National Archives, and with you know other. Um, you know, law enforcement, and then they lied to them and said they didn't have it, they have it here, they have it there, it's unsecured, it's top secret. I mean, come on. You know, the whole notion that this is all about tax evasion, just go after him, and that Biden is telling Merrick Garland what to do. No, he's not. In fact, Joe really Biden has it. been... Mom. You know, I, I would have liked to have seen Joe Biden push Merrick Garland to do it. Fuck it. Do it. Yeah. Right? It happens to be the right thing to, to do. do. Yep. There are open investigations by four different courts. And so Merrick Garland certainly can get himself involved. And I don't see a problem with Joe Biden saying, hey, take a look at this. If, in fact, that the guy is innocent, let him go. If, in fact, he's guilty, prosecute him. I mean, you know, there's many things Joe Biden can do. I hate the fact that Biden stays silent while this orange crust 
Mandarin Mussolini is out there slapping high fives to folks in, you know, in Ohio and Iowa and in Tennessee and wherever else, you know, that, you know, he ends up, you know, flying off to. And these people, in small numbers, but nevertheless, still five, six thousand people cheering for him. They're cheering for him on topics that, in all fairness, are destructive to American democracy. It's so stupid. It's hard to wrap your arms around this one, Ben. It doesn't make any sense at all. And then you got, you know, Alina Haha, you know, who sits there and you know, she's now going to be first chair in a case that's going to ultimately wipe out the Trump organization. And then as soon as that trial is over, then... Hi there, we're listening to the end of Political Beatdown. Political Beatdown. All built. Subscribe to this YouTube channel. Share this YouTube channel. Share the show. All licenses. Political beatdown. Come out with your hands up, motherfucking traitor. Jump. Time is up. That was a warning shot. Traitor and thief. Going down, motherfucker. Come out with your hands up. Go directly to jail. Do not pass go, bitch. Suspended, but then again, Jim Jordan is not a licensed lawyer as well. As Fulton County District Attorney Fawny Willis said, if Jim Jordan wants to learn about how to practice law or learn about RICO, he could pay the non-bar member fee of $249. She recommends a book for him. Let me show you right now uh, MAGA Republican Matt Gates what he said on the House floor after Kevin McCarthy announced the impeachment inquiry. Play the clip. I'm um, Instagramming, posting on Instagram. Two. Then my son, Michael Cohen. Cohen. Michael Cohen. There's no king. It means king. <clears throat> and Ben Marcellus. Marcellus. I just got bit. Marcellus. Congratulations.
Tag people, invite collaborators, uh, Michael Cohen, Cohen, this is my man Cooper, I wonder if they have a, baby don't laugh at me, if I tell you my story don't grab at me, yeah, I'll take my time, that's fine by me. Let's see, Popak and KFA Legal. I wonder if is that what she is on the current. Oh, no, she, I guess she's not on Instagram. The KFA, K Farm. No. <clears throat> My Distouch. My Distorty. Uh, who else? Brett. We got Brett here. Midas GW. Glenn Kirshner. Kirshner. How about some Harry Littman? Justice Matters. I love uh, these people. are good people. They're fucking angels. This is my Mikulpa. Baby, don't laugh at me. If I tell you my story, don't grab me, yeah. Okay, and MSNBC. Ari Melber. About Mehdi Hassan, the beat with Ari. That sounds cool. I think he's kind of cute, actually. Got a little bit of a crush on him, but uh, that's I think he's single too, actually. Um, and he thanked me, thanked me, thank you for thanking me, Ari Melber, and Mehdi Hassan, man, one of the best journalists on the planet. Holy fuck, thank you, Mehdi Hassan. George Stephanopoulos is pretty great too. Rachel Maddow. These are the best. These are my favorites. Favorites. Um, Madow Show. And what else? Uh, Politics Girl. Politics Girl. We like politics, politics. Politics Girl. How about we won't get fooled again? Give them hell. Something about give them hell. Uh, the party started pink. Coming out, so you better get this party started. I'm coming. Party. Get the party started. Pull up to the bumper, get out of the
Gender. So I'm sending it to reporters for 40, Michael Cohen, Washington Post, Space Nation, Arizona PBS, problem with John Stewart. White House, Marlin Camp, Human Rights Watch, Reuters, VP, Politico, Postal Vice TV, Bob Woodward, Lincoln Project, Jeff Bezos, Now This Politics, SpaceX, Midas Touch, USA Today Opinion, Young Democrats Club, Young Democrats of America, Morning Brew, Mady Hassan, Humane Society, BuzzFeed, Hypebeast, Michael Popak, AG Central, Elon Musk, SpaceX, SPCA, Opinion Videos, Hunter Biden, Navajo Nation Fair, Discovery Channel, Oh no, not the KPYT. Native Americans are understandably um, very wary and avoid, avoid political discussion. Save the animals. Fund. That was pretty good. Wow, yo. 
Sopans.me. Okay. Get this punished on it. Cilantro. One of my favorite herbs. With basil and cilantro. Mm. <clears throat> okay, so it's uh, 10543. 10543. Little AO2. Thank you for your service to America. If you didn't know it already, when I'm president, you will be the first recipient of the first Camelot Prize. Congratulations. Now come out here to Arizona. Let's discuss. You guys are going to be my lawyers, and we're going to sue the shit out of abusive popos and put that money towards our political campaigns. Doesn't that sound great? comments yet. small loan. Okay, so this is a save my animals. Please find it in your heart to donate to my GoFundMe. Save all my animals, which were taken away from me on trumped-up charges. Literally, I think Trump asked somebody to take away my main source of joy in life. I'm asking celebs for help since everybody's broke in America. John Mellencamp, Matt Damon, Jodie Foster, Doris Day Animal Foundation, Paul McCartney, Jennifer Aniston, Chrissy Hines, Johnny Depp, and others left to give me a small loan. Like Trump, actually he was a multimillionaire at two, three years old. Inherited a billion from his father and still went bankrupt six times. I need a small loan of 53k to post bond on my pets and get them out of prison here in Tucson, Arizona. If I can't post 53 k bond, they will not return them to me even if all charges are dropped. They put down even though they had no fucking right to arrest charge and take away our pets in the first place ACLU I'm asking Ben Marcellus and Michael Cohen to be my lawyers want to put 50 mil towards your campaigns Michael Cohen help sir I, I deserve the best lawyers in America and my animals need you to save them from the system which is utterly corrupt they were so happy I just gave them breakfast and they were playing in the courtyard when 50 50 sheriffs Sending on my property immediately threw me in cuffs, took me to jail before even searching property. My partner was arrested for telling the detective he had no case against me. It was obviously a false report, 
We should have been fact-checked. Hello? They don't want to see any receipts. Talk to my vet. And refused to listen to our side of the story. They were chomping at the bit, zealous to arrest me, us, and take away our animals. Shut me down. Shut me up. No doubt to bankrupt me, take my property, drive me out of the country. My vet friend is considering giving up and moving abroad. I don't recognize my country anymore, he said. Vote vet. This is flat-out persecution of peaceful, law-abiding citizens, and I am squeaky clean, so I know that if this is happening to me, it most definitely has already happened to you. <clears throat> A-Z-A-G, Arizona Attorney General, Chris Mays. Tagging um, Ari Melberg again. Rachel Maddow. Show. that rumbling noise. Anyway. Mr. Speaker, dust off our written January agreement. You have a copy. Reflect on the spirit of that agreement and build on the start that we had moments ago. Begin to comply. No continuing resolutions, individual spending bills or busts, votes on balanced budgets and term limits, subpoenas for Hunter Biden and the members of the Biden family who've been grifting off of this country and the impeachment for Joe Biden that he so richly deserves. Do these things or face a motion to vacate the chair. Here's MAGA Republican Based on Chip what Roy evidence? in a press conference outside of Capitol Hill. Play this clip. Enough! Why would we fund that? That's my question for the Republican leadership. Why will you fund that? Let me be very clear. I will not continue to fund a government at war with the American people. We are here to change it, and it's time to end it, and I'm proud to stand with these patriots to do that. And here is, as part of that press conference where you just saw MAGA Republican Chip Roy, randomly here is Tom Fitton, who is the head of an organization called Judicial Watch, in keeping with the theme of 
non-licensed lawyers or non-lawyers. <laughs> the main kind of right-wing judicial group is led by this individual, Tom Fitton, who's an idiot, number one. He wears super tight shirts as his only qualification <laughs> for who knows what. And he's not a licensed lawyer. And he's the one who Donald Trump relies on as well to basically justify any of Donald Trump's positions. Here's Tom Fitton randomly at this press conference as well. Play the clip. I don't know what we're talking about with a clean CR. I see a dirty CR, a CR that will fund the worst, the dirty politics and corruption in our federal government. And there's a positive moral obligation right now, not next year, but right now, to stop the abuses, the effort to jail Trump on pretextual, unprecedented charges in a way never seen before in American history. An obligation to stop right now the Biden administration censorship of tens of millions of Americans. The obligation to stop right now the illicit use of tax monies to fund abortions in our military and elsewhere. The uh, right We need to stop right now the attack on children through the promotion of transgender extremism. We need to stop right now the lack of serious investigation into the Biden administration corruption, specifically Biden corruption. We need a Justice Department or a special counsel that has confidence of the American people. I just want to compare that to Democratic Senator John Fetterman. This was his response when he was asked about the impeachment inquiry by Kevin McCarthy. Play this clip. Asking about this news that uh, Speaker McCarthy has formally launched impeachment in her head. Oh my God, really? Oh my gosh, you know, oh, it's devastating. <laughs> Ooh, don't do it, please don't do it. Oh no, oh no. Are you still interested in a solar powered That's hilarious. generator? It does come with one of the... What if they allow clips to be made? So I've watched that yeah. video. Be Please don't... ...to the Biden administration corruption specific... ...his response when he was asked about... The I just want to... Com I just want to compare that to Democratic Senator John Fetterman. This was his response when he was asked about the impeachment inquiry by Kevin McCarthy. Play this clip. Well, asking about this news that uh, Speaker McCarthy has formally launched an impeachment inquiry. Has said he's going to. Oh my God! Back. Really? Oh my gosh! You know? Oh, it's devastating. <laughs> Ooh, don't do it! Please don't do it! Oh no! Oh no! <laughs> no, I've watched that video a few times, Colin. What makes it funnier to me? What makes it funnier to me is not just Fetterman. But his aide is also uh, like so serious. Like the whole dynamic there cracks me up. You know, could you imagine Ben? They're gonna get say Rudy Colludi, drunken Giuliani up there. You know, in order to impeach uh, Joe Biden. And all of a sudden, he's gonna come in. He's gonna be shit faced, sauced, right? And they're gonna be like, uh, I just want to compare that to Democratic Senator John Fetterman. This was his response when he was asked about the impeachment. So I've watched that video a few times, Colin. What makes it funnier to me? It makes me laugh. What makes it funnier to me is not just Fetterman, but his aide. Senator John Fetterman's hilarious response. 
to Biden impeachment inquiry. Oh, shit. School is on. Oops. Spelled his name wrong. Oh well. His aid is also like so silly. Democratic superstar ends GOP's future with fatal blow. As a Florida representative, what do you say to people who really connect with that Bugs Bunny meme of just like sawing Florida off from the rest of the country and letting it float <laughs> away? <laughs> Politics go. Politics go. Hello, and welcome to the Politics Girl podcast. I'm your host, Lee McGowan. Let's get into it. We know that the majority of the youth in America are not on board for this new extremist Republican agenda. They believe in reproductive rights and that the climate is in crisis. They're against book banning and propaganda education. They're majority pro-LGBTQ, pro-union, pro-healthcare, pro-living and pro-common sense gun legislation. And the Republican Party offers them none of that. Gen Z might technically still be getting their feet wet in politics with the oldest member of that generation turning 26 this year, but they know who they are and what they want, and they turned out in historic numbers for the midterm last year. But they're also looking around at everything from our legislation to our politicians, and they don't see themselves properly reflected. And that hurts with turnout and engagement, which is why our guest today is so important. Maxwell Alejandro Frost is the first member of Gen Z to be elected to Congress. And not only is he a congressman, he's a Florida congressman. So as he looks to and represents the future of our government and our country, he comes from a state that is currently working overtime to take us back to the past. Congressman Frost is the child of a Cuban-American who came to the U.S. during the freedom fights of the late 1960s to go on to become a special needs teacher and a full-time musician. A musician himself, Maxwell became a community activist and organizer after surviving a shooting in downtown Orlando. The experience solidified his commitment for common sense solutions to gun violence and led him to a leadership role at the ACLU and then as the National Organizing Director for March for Our Lives. In Congress, Frost has been appointed to the Committee on Oversight and Accountability and the Committee on Science, Space and Technology. We clearly need way more young people like him in government, not only because they understand the real life of the constituents they serve, but they understand the future we're going into better than many of the people who are already there. So without further ado, please welcome my guest, community organizer and musician, and now sitting congressman for Florida's 10th district, Maxwell Frost. Welcome, Maxwell. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Thanks for joining me. I was saying in the introduction that Gen Z might technically be still new to politics, but they know exactly <laughs> who they are and what they care about, right? Would you like to exactly. explain to older people the priorities of your generation? Like if you were going to talk to them about it, what would you tell them? Yeah, well, you know, I, I always like to give the little caveat. I don't, you know, I don't represent the whole generation, and obviously, what? like any other generation. You don't? You're not the yeah. sole speaker <laughs> right? for an entire generation? Exactly. You'd be surprised. You'd be surprised <laughs> on people who think that. Um, so I always like to give the little disclaimer. But, I mean, I will say what the numbers show us is that this is the most progressive generation in the history of our country. What does that mean? Well, this is a generation that 
I think quickly has developed a political identity, maybe a little faster than other generations because of things like the internet and social media being a fact of life. I mean, literally what separates Gen Z from other generations and, and the biggest kind of characteristic they say is the fact that we've been involved um, and enthralled in uh, uh, our phones since birth, really, is, is the distinguishing factor there. And I think it comes with, you know, benefits and it comes with some cons, too. And I think some of the benefits is that we have a generation that's very aware of a lot of the hardship going around across the country and around the world. And so because we've been exposed to that so early, I mean, I'll go, I do a lot of uh, roundtables at, like, elementary schools and middle schools and high schools, and there will be 10-year-olds who come up to me. I actually, let me tell you, I was just, it was about two months ago, I was on the Capitol steps saying hi to an elementary school from my district that was visiting D.C. And one of the questions I usually like to ask during these things is, you know, if you got to pass a bill, what bill would you do? And, you know, usually you get like, you know, no homework or stuff like that, right, is what a lot of older members told me what you would get. I haven't really gotten any of that. I will have 10, 9, 8-year-olds open their mouth and say, ban assault weapons because I don't want to be shot in school. You know, I'll have young people say something with climate change because the storms are getting worse. You know, it, it inspires me and also depresses me at the same time, right? Because our, our, <laughs> yeah, me too. our kids at 10 and 12 years old should be saying no homework law, right? And not having to worry about being gunned down in their own school. But the fact of the matter is the leading cause of death for them is to be shot. And so they're thinking about, you know, what's going on in our country. And so it's hard, but I think all of that together creates a generation that, you know, sees these solutions, wants to quickly move towards the solutions so we can have a better life for ourselves and for our children and for, you know, for the rest of this country. Yeah. And as you said, it's not even just a generational thing. You know, you're Gen Z, I'm Gen X, right? But my priorities are exactly the same as yours because I'm raising a Gen Z and I don't want him to live in this world either. Like, reproductive yeah. rights, climate, the state of the earth, not wanting to die from yeah. senseless violence, right? Like, I feel like that is not just a your generation thing. It's an anyone who is aware thing, but your generation has been aware of it for so long, almost like you said, your whole life. There's no time in Gen Z's life that there weren't smartphones and these kind of things. You get most of your news from a handheld device or from the internet, right? Yeah. So it's clearly a different world. And I think you guys have embraced it a lot quicker than say Brilliant. we did. But also I think that this, you guys are very much into being who you want to be and loving who you want to love. I think your generation is also very smartly rebelling against this idea of just being cogs in a capitalistic machine, like your parents' generation, right? You want to be able to afford housing, like your grandparents were able to afford, which is probably why nine out of 10 of young people around the country are pro-union, pro-universal yep. healthcare, pro-living wage, right? Yeah. The world, but particularly this country, is clearly broken. And I think you guys are the first generation to just come out and say, we see that. Like, something's got to give. And you guys don't seem super cool with keeping the status quo anymore. Exactly. And, and I'll say, you know, something that, you know, because I'm also a student of movement history. And, you know, we wouldn't be here if it wasn't for the amazing movements, organizers, advocates that came before us. But there, another distinguishing factor of Gen Z, too, is... Usually, when other generations at our at our age, right, as young people, um, got involved in politics and did a huge political movement, most of the time that that generation, as a in their youth, was defined by a very specific issue, right? 
the war in Vietnam. We can even, you know, go back not so far back. We have things like uh, wealth inequality, Occupy Wall Street. Right to an abortion, birth control, civil rights. Exactly. And the interesting thing about Gen Z is that just in a short amount of years, right, in a few years, the generation has really latched onto many issues that kind of span the spectrum. And I think part of it is that because we're so, you know, we're so connected online, we also see the connection of all the issues. I really think the age of the single issue voter is quickly dying, right? And part of the reason is because young people aren't going into the booth thinking about one issue. They're thinking about all the issues, right? And and they want a candidate who really has a message that calls to all the issues. And that's something I try to do. When I'm speaking with constituents, I always talk about the fact that because the oppression is connected, the organizing must also be. Because every issue uh, works with each other to create the conditions we're in, when we talk about the solutions, the solutions have to also be holistic. There's not one bill that'll solve everything. And so, and it's important to say that and recognize that because I think, you know, when we lie to ourselves about the state of play, we set ourselves up for failure. It's part of the reason why you know, and this is no black to anyone who, who said this or anything, I get it, but like, you know, even after Donald Trump was elected, the not my president thing, which I get, um, I didn't take part in it because he was, he, he was our president. And and I think it was important to say that. You'll, you'll notice, too, I say a lot of things about Governor DeSantis, right? I always say Governor DeSantis, and I make sure to do it because he is my governor of this state. And we lost, and he won. And I say it, even though it hurts me to say it, because I cannot lie to myself about the state of play. If we don't know what the battlefield is and who the players are, how can we expect to organize to defeat it? I'm not going to lie to myself and say things are better than they are, worse than they are. I want to know exactly what the reality is. And I think that's another exciting thing about this younger generation is we, you know, we want to, we're straight shooters, right? We just want to know how it is and how we can be a part of the fight to make it better. Oh, I always say with the not my president thing, I'd say he's my president, but these aren't my values, you know? And yeah. I mean, your your own campaign ad recently says if we want bold change on guns, on reproductive health, on affordable housing, we can't keep electing the same politicians. And that's the thing. We have to play within the system we've been given. And if we want to live in yeah. a rule of law and we want to live in a country that has a democracy, then we have to play within the democracy. And as you said... Ron DeSantis is currently your governor. That doesn't mean that we can't play within our democracy to remove him from that job. And I think exactly. someone like exactly. you is the perfect example of that, right? Like you started your work with groups focused on common sense gun legislation because that was something you were passionate yep. about. And now you're a lawmaker who can work on common yep. sense gun legislation. You were recently on The Last Word on MSNBC and you said, we need newly elected officials who actually give a damn about our lives. And that's the kind of sentiment I feel like we need right now. Someone who believes change can happen. And you've been out here saying, if we put in the work, you're confident that we can turn around, say, this country's horrifying gun violence in your lifetime. And I love that because I believe that, too. And that's clearly the kind of things people want to hear. They want to know our politicians believe change can actually happen. Exactly. And I know when we talk to young people, when I talk to young people, they really seem to get it. And they believe that, too. But like... How do you think we translate that 
to the polls. You know, how do we educate the youth of America? Because they clearly a huge amount of power there without boring them. How do we tell them about the issues without having them zone out? How do we make sure they're not tricked by third party spoilers like RFK or no labels who can make them a million promises? But if you don't understand the system, you don't understand that they won't or can't follow through on those. What do you think we should do about that? It's interesting because it's really uh, it, it's an act. It's a balancing act, right? Um, I I'm one that believes, and I'm, I'm going to try not to go down this rabbit hole. Like go down it a lot. But growing up in the movement space, and as a progressive, right? Even in, in my own movement, I was sold this fake binary choice that existed. Right? You're either an incrementalist, centrist, moderate. That's like one side of it. Looking at it in a derogatory way, and then the other side of it is you're either a progressive. Who wants the world and it's never going to happen, right? Like those are the two sides it feels like it gets painted for us. And then you look at the movement history and you realize it's such a load of BS to, 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 to put it as two things working against each other. In fact, incrementalism and, and, the, and taking steps towards a greater goal is the only way that big change has ever been done in this country. Now, I, there might be some progressives listening to me, Max, what are you talking about? You know, like, we're fighting for big, big things. And I always say, yes, we are. And the difference here is it's a problem when people want to talk about incrementalism and taking steps at the expense of talking about a bold vision for the country, right? And, and the way I like to explain it is you wouldn't start walking on a journey without understanding what the destination is. You'll have nowhere to go. You'll be kind of, you know, getting lost. And I feel like for a lot of politicians in this country, because folks are scared or don't think we're ready for the big, bold, transformational change that we need, they don't even want to talk about it. And that's a, and that brings us back to young voters. Young voters want to talk about it. And I don't think we cut young voters enough credit. You know, we, we like to say, well, you know, it's not going to happen next year, so we shouldn't say it. Well, then just say that. Right. I, I'm very transparent when I talk about my plan. I believe in Medicare for all. I believe everybody in this country should have health care by virtue of being alive. I think you deserve to be healthy. That is what I believe. The next sentence will be that we won't pass to this Congress with Kevin McCarthy as the Speaker of the House. But guess what? We have over 100 co-sponsors in the House of Representatives to say a Medicare for all program is what we need. That gives me so much hope. And so we're getting there. We need to elect better people. We need to keep the pressure on and we will have Medicare for all. But here's the thing. We won't wake up tomorrow having the people in place to make it happen. But, hey, maybe we can wake up in four years, five years and have the people in place to make it happen. But the way that we create the environment where we wake up and we say today's the day is by those steps. And so it, it's a little bit I take a little bit from both. Right. It's like I'm not going to give up on talking and fighting for the full change we need. I'm also going to talk about the steps we need to get there. I don't see these things as adversarial towards each other. I see them as the same thing. And that's how all progressive movements have worked in this country. You, you work to get the people and resources in place. And one day you wake up and it seems like it happened quickly, but really it didn't. And I think when you explain that to young voters, yeah. They get it, right? They get it. But you yeah. have to be honest with them because ultimately you're saying it's about electing better people, but you can't elect better people overnight. But I think it also comes back to making a better argument. You know, like people always say, oh, well, what about 
business. And you're like, there's a huge argument for Medicare for all, for example, in business environments, right? Like if I was a small business owner and I didn't have to pay for the health care of my workers because it came through the government, guess what? My profits are better. I, that's something I don't have to worry about. People would not be trapped exactly. in bad jobs, bad marriages, that kind of thing, because that's where their health care comes from. It's a freedom, yeah, it's freedom. argument. It's yeah. a business argument. And we haven't made the argument to make the change, but we can because in the past, when we talk about Medicare for all people are like, oh, we're just giving away free stuff as someone who grew up in Canada. No, you're not. You're taking care of your population and a healthy population is better for the whole country's bottom line. Exactly. We just need to make better arguments and we need politicians elected yes. who are willing to make that, that argument. Now let's talk about your actual job. You're a member of Congress, but you from the perspective of the youngest one there, what are you noticing? You know, as a fresh pair of eyes on yeah. a rather stagnant old system, let's be honest, what needs to be updated or changed if we want to make those changes, if we want to elect better people, if yeah. we want to get the big things done? I mean, I think the changes are we need to elect a Democratic majority. But, you know, th- this, you know what I've This I've is an really important been, part. Yeah, that's an important one. Term limits. I've really been surprised by, you know, the, the question I get asked is like, what surprised you about going to Congress? The political environment that it surprised me, we, we, I mean, we all know about it. We all know how bad the political environment is. So that wasn't surprising to me. What was surprising is the operation of Congress and the way that it works despite who's in power. And, and it's not a place that rewards like bipartisanship. It's not a place that rewards like anything like that. Uh, and I'll give an example. You, so you get elected to Congress, right? That Tuesday night, you're winning, you're getting lit with your volunteers and your friends, you're taking some shots, you're, you know, getting calls from members of Congress from across the country, and then the next morning you wake up and you get a letter, so and it's from the U.S. House of Representatives, and to paraphrase it, it says, your ass has to be here on Sunday for orientation. <laughs> so they go to D.C. for orientation. And you get there, you're excited, bright-eyed, bushy-tailed. You come in the first morning, 8 a.m., whatever. And the way it works is you have two weeks of orientation. It's kind of like school. You have a week, you have Thanksgiving break, and then you have the other week. The first part of the day is like 8 a.m. or 9 a.m. to noon. That is the only part of your day-to-day where you're going to be in a bipartisan setting. And guess what? It's not a collaborative segment. That 8 to 12 p.m. segment is actually the class segment where you're listening. You're getting, like, lectures and you're learning. Um, So you're not really talking with one another. After that, you have a lot of social and political events for the rest of that orientation where you're all separated by the party you're in. And the interesting thing is I feel like the best time to make good relationships with people who you disagree with on a lot of issues is an orientation because we haven't started coming at each other really yet, right? And we're all just learning how to do this thing. And I feel like it's a big missed opportunity. You really have to go out of your way to create those relationships. The other thing is just, you know, Congress, a lot of the way it's set up is for political sh- a political show. I'll give you another example. I was just on a congressional delegation trip in South America. And in Brazil, we went to their House of Representatives, like their capital. And we did a meeting in one of their committee rooms. You go into the room, it's a bunch of desks. Every desk, like every seat has a mic in the room. And it looks like a good like uh, layout for collaboration. Then you walk into a committee room in the United States House of Representatives. And if, if, if people listening haven't seen it, I'll kind of bring the picture for you. But Google, committee room. Um, Google the oversight committee room where I sit, right? And the way it works is 
you have these uh, a dais, right, where members of Congress sit, and you're kind of elevated. And then you have the witness table, and then you have a sea of seats and cameras, and you even have lights pointing at us. And you know what it looks like? It looks like a production. It looks like a show. Why? Because it is a show. The point of congressional hearings are to help inform us on the legislation we write. It's supposed to be a very collaborative process. And it's really turned into a political show. We don't face, like, members of Congress are not facing each other, right? I think this is something the Senate, a lot of the Senate rooms are better because in the Senate, the rooms are a lot smaller and you kind of sit in a horseshoe shape. You face each other, you can talk. Not in, not in the House of Representatives. So there's, like, little things like that that I've noticed where it's like, wow, this is really rewarding showmanship and not rewarding collaboration. And I think that's something that could help fix a lot of the problems going on, at least when you think about people like Marjorie Taylor Greene, where I'm sitting at an oversight hearing and I look over to my left and she's speaking, she has a big blow-up picture of Hunter Biden naked. You know, it's just like crazy. So either way, the operation rewards the craziness, believe it or not. Yeah, I do believe it. But I also think it's really good that the administration right now and what you guys are doing, the fact that you are in South America to do that seems to me like you're looking outside the box, which is what we talk about on this show all the time, this idea that, like, America is not all perfect and all good and we can't learn anything from any other countries. We are not the only democracy in the world. In fact, we're not even in the top ten of real democracies, right, on the democracy index. And yeah. you're down there saying, hey, this is actually a better way to set up the room for collaboration, you know? There used to be way more collaboration pre-Newt Gingrich in the House. Like, there was way more collaboration and then he came in and said this is your enemy this is your enemy don't talk to them if you talk to people who were yeah. aides before those days they say oh we used to get in a room with republican you know and democrats and we'd have pizza and we'd all discuss an issue they don't do that anymore because it's become a show in which i show you how much i am fighting the other person and that doesn't serve the american people yeah. on any level and i think it's exactly. essential that we put more people like you with an open mind and are looking at it with different eyes in there to say, we could probably do this better. We could probably do this more efficiently and we could serve the American yeah. people better. Now, let's talk about your home state, since it's at the top of the list for shoving the entire country into a time machine back to the 1950s, if not if Ron had his way in the 1850s. Yeah. But as a Florida representative, what do you say to people who really connect with that Bugs Bunny meme of just like sawing Florida off from the rest of the country and letting it float away. Hey everybody, it's Michael Steele, host of the Michael Steele podcast. Each week I discuss key political and cultural issues joined by America's leading activists, experts, and academics for conversations that transcend political boundaries. And that's the point. I want you to join me as we work through real solutions have honest conversations, just keeping it real, and having a little fun on the side. So listen to the Michael Steele Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Spreaker, or wherever you get your podcasts on, because you know I love it when you do. Today's pod is brought to you by Rocket Money. Rocket spending about eight... Not too long. This entire century, thus far, the past 23 years... Yeah, yeah. Well, I always like I always tell people number one, you know, not too long. This entire century, thus far, the past twenty three years, with the exception of twenty eighteen, Florida statewide races were won by less than a point, maybe a point. 
And what that means is we are a state that has a lot of Democrats and progressives in it who really care about the issues we all care about in this state. And it's always been at the margins. And the mistake that was made is somewhere in 2018 when Andrew Gillum lost by, uh, I think, 30,000 votes, which is nothing in a state like Florida, somewhere in that whole thing, there were the powers that be said, well, I guess we shouldn't invest in Florida anymore. I come from the opposite opinion. I think when you get so close, you got to rev it up. But people, you know, hit the brakes. And guess what? The Republican Party flew right past us because they hit the gas and Ron DeSantis won by 18, 19 points. It doesn't mean that we need to give up on Florida, that we need to cut Florida off. It means we need to continue to invest in this state. This is something my friend Greg Cassad says, and Greg's a freshman congressman from Austin, Texas. He says, Texas is not a red state, it's an underorganized state. And I would say the same thing about Florida. And look, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna BS anybody. It's gonna be hard. It's not gonna be I mean, I hope it's in one cycle, but it might not be in one cycle. It might be multiple. But that's the problem with Democrats is for us, our strategy is really connected to these two year goals. And some you know, we should take a page at Republicans on this because they do have short term goals. But they have very long-term goals, like 20-, 30-year goals um, on taking the Supreme Court and waking up one morning and seeing that abortion, Roe versus Wade, has been struck down. Waking up one morning and seeing that the Republicans control most of the state legislatures across this country through meticulous gerrymandering. Like, all these horrible things that are happening, it's not a surprise to me, and it shouldn't be a surprise to anybody. They've been working at it for a long time. They waited, and now they're seeing the fruits of it. Now, the good news for us is that the electorate is not on their side. And Florida is really a great case study in the difference between politics and policy. What does that mean? It's simple. We are a state that in the past six years, 60% of Florida voters went to the ballot box and said, yes, $15 minimum wage. Yes, medical marijuana. Yes, uh, voting rights to people with previous felonies. In fact, right now, we are collecting petitions for Floridians Protecting Freedom, which is the ballot initiative to codify abortion rights in the state of Florida, which, by the way, is the single greatest opportunity to uh, advance abortion access that we have next year in the entire country because we're the third largest state in the union. But we are, we are on, well on our way to collecting the petitions needed. And guess what? Polling shows upwards of 70% of Floridians say hell yes to voting yes on that. Same thing with adult use marijuana, which is probably going to be on the ballot, too. Most Floridians say we'd vote yes on that, too. So it like brings the question, if 70% of Floridians are saying yes to these old progressive measures, why do they vote for Ron DeSantis? And the answer is very simple. It's that difference Jerry between Mander. policy and politics, and we see it across the country. The Republican Party does a great job when they're able to make a disconnect between the values that the people hold and what they actually want healthcare, fighting the climate crisis, good jobs, etc., their rights, and politicians who can really go for the emotions and, you know, get away from the policy. And that's part of the reason why when you see Ron DeSantis speaking at a press conference in Florida, and it's on the news and everything, he's not talking about, I'm going to ban abortion for all of you, right? right? Like, he signed that bill at like 3 a.m. in the middle of the dark with no pomp and circumstance. He is talking about culture wars. Woke, CRT, mass mandates, things that are all about politics and not about policy. 
and he does well when those when that's you know the waters and the lines are blurred. And so um, we have to do a better job at connecting those two things. So don't give up on Florida. We have a lot of work to do, but this is a progressive state. Just look at the ballot issues. And I'm, I'm not trying to sell you on a story that is 20 years old. I'm telling you about stuff that just happened a few years ago. I always say that Florida isn't red, it's blue suppressed. I mean, what you did was you had one election where Ron got elected by, like you said, 30,000 votes. And then he literally changed the way the state elects people. He disenfranchised yeah. people. He changed, he gerrymandered the state. He changed who could vote. He, you know, took away people's rights to vote. It is unbelievable. Yeah. And then, like you said, he sits on the culture war issues that keep people divided, right? Like Florida is yep. up there being just as extreme as it can be with the don't say gay laws and the anti-trans legislation and the book bans yep. and the turning people away from hospitals for their sexual orientation. It it's changes in education, right? Most recently, slavery yep. was kind of not so bad because people learn skills BS, right? There are literal Nazis walking in your streets right now, organizing, marching, protesting. But then the governor himself, when he actually does things, he's refusing to meet with the president for federal aid for hurricane relief, which the people yep. need. He's vetoing federal aid for energy savings for Florida residents, right? People can't yep. get home insurance. People can't get a well-rounded education. You can pull yep. people over and ask them for their papers. I mean, people from certain states can't drive on your roads anymore. That's bananas, right? So I think you have to counter that kind of behavior. And how do you think we should do that? Like, as a Florida representative, where what's your take on where woke goes to die, right? Or even the whole concept of woke in general, because what's the pushback? What do you think our pushback should be on that? Because they use it for everything now. We're not gonna fill these military positions in the military because the military's gone too woke, right? This isn't just a Florida problem. Do you have a pushback on woke that you think people should be putting out there? In life, there's nothing more important than taking care of your loved ones. At Healthy Home Flooring, we value your family's well-being and our great floors be... ...a problem. Do you have a pushback on woke that you think people should be putting out there? So, yeah, I mean, it, mine's pretty simple. Tonight, exclamation point. This guy Young Dems. 
So, yeah, I mean, it, mine's pretty simple. Um, I just don't talk about it. Um, I dismiss <laughs> it. I, you know, if, if a reporter comes up to me and asks me what I think about woke, I will say I woke up this morning. I have no idea what they're talking about. And you know what? Most of this country is on board with that. Most people in this country, if you look at the polling, they either don't know what woke means or they're tired of hearing about it. So because most people live in that camp, I think it's politically smart for me to also live in that camp. <laughs> Who knows what it means? Who cares? Um, healthcare, please, right? And, and I think, like, that is the way to go. And, you know, I've found that sitting on oversight that ridicule and humor a lot of times is the best antidote for a lot of these wild fantasies and bogus claims that the right wing makes. Even the Republican Party itself in polling is showing that they're getting tired of the whole woke conversation. So I don't want to give it, I, don't, I try not to give it any light. You know, I really go right, blow right past it and say, I don't, I'm not really sure what he means by that. But, you know, what I do know is that we have a homeowner's insurance problem in this, in this state. Um, and I would rather the governor focus on that than talking about woke, whatever that is. And we've received a lot of, you know, good feedback on that messaging here in Florida because people are, are having a hard time and again they want policy they want to talk about the policy not the politics I think we're tired uh, of the know, bullshit in a meeting, um, it was about a few months ago and there's a colleague of mine who had brought up that you know like we don't we shouldn't talk to our constituents about policy it's that a lot of mumbo jumbo people want to like understand what's going like how are you going to help them how are you going to help them and I get the, the spirit of that argument because I was in that camp too. But it's our job to really connect the policy to the day-to-day -day life, right? Like that is our job. Florida is tired of Governor Ron DeSantis BS. Of DeSantis bullshit. Right, like that is our job. And so for me, it's like not, no, we can't run away from the policy. We should work at communicating it in a better way. And I think that is how we fill the gap. Because when I knock doors, people want to hear what the hell I'm doing, right? Like, they want to know what policy I'm fighting for to help them with their everyday life. And so my job should be to connect those dots. And I feel like when we spend time on these, you know, crazy things Republicans are talking about, it, we're, we're not connecting the dots. And again, remember, like, policy versus politics. Like, we got to be in the business of connecting the policy to our people. And I feel like every second we're talking about some other stuff, we're just, uh, we're not winning. And so that, that's my personal thing. Though. That's what I believe. Uh, I don't know if it's the way to do it, but I think. Yeah. I think that makes perfect sense. I mean, I think that the voters of your state should know at the door that your Florida legislators voted to apply for Florida's allocation of the energy savings rebate from the federal government. And then DeSantis came along and vetoed it, saying it was too woke. His own Republican legislators yeah. were too woke, right? So then the Floridians, yeah. the people you're actually talking to at the door, 
aren't going to get any federal relief on their energy bills because their governor turned it down. I would want to know that. That's a policy, but I would want to know that. I would want to know that Ron also turned down $350 million in climate funding before your most recent yeah. hurricane, when Florida is, as you've put it, a frontline state in the climate crisis, right? So uh, these are things that I think the people at the yeah. door want to know, even if they are policy. And to be clear, no matter what Republican candidates say on the debate stage, there is a climate crisis, right? So you need to be talking yeah. about that to people at the door, and you need to be talking about policy that might help them. And they're feeling it. They should be feeling it. It's everywhere, right? Your 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 ocean yeah. is this, like a bathtub. Naples is recording the highest temperatures ever. Like, you guys are ground zero for climate initiatives. Exactly. No, exactly. Well, you should that's be anyway. Thing, it should be know. something that's bringing you guys together to work against it. 